Good morning, Twitter. It's Tuesday, and we have a great show for you. We'll be interviewing 2020 presidential candidate Governor Jay Inslee, and then I'm sitting down with actor Carla Gugino. Mm, such a good show. So stay right there. We'll see you on the timeline. But before that, we're going to take a quick nap. Mm. Alex, I was kidding. We have to go do a show. Alex, wake up. Oh, wake up, uh... Alex. <laughs> Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Steph, Zach Stafford. It's Tuesday, and you are watching AM to DM. And how was your nap? It was delightful, but not long enough. I had to know? carry her out of her Twitter. America. Yeah. She sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> I could have stayed napping. So are short. you a napper? You know, uh, with this show, I would say now I am a napper mm -hmm. simply because if I have plans at night, I like to go home, catch up on a little sleep, yeah. maybe get like an hour in, even 20 minutes I'll take, that's and then great. go do my thing. Yeah. That's so great. What about you? I am not. It's something that's genetic, I think. I blame my genes, my family. But I wish I could nap because, you know, I have a pretty packed day every day, as you know, managing you do, the magazine you do. and this. And uh, I would love to take a little, a little disco nap. Ooh, wake right back nap. up. But maybe you'll teach me the ways because she did actually fall asleep. I did. I did. So. There is actually such thing as a micro sleep. <laughs> really? But it's real. Is that like it is 30 real. seconds? It's when you like fall asleep for a couple of seconds because you're so sleep deprived. Hopefully, neither of us will ever know wow. what that experience I've never experienced. is like. But it's a thing. But we can talk about it after the show. Perfect. I, yeah. I, I can't wait for my train <laughs> to nap. Well, Lisandra Via tweeted. Here is the walkout song playlist for the candidates at the Iowa Democrats Hall of Fame campaign. The songs were chosen by the campaigns. She added later, correction, Mayor Pete actually walked out to high hopes by panic at the disco. Have you seen this list? <laughs> I have not seen this list. And I love that Mayor Pete has panic at the disco because isn't Brandon the lead singer queer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's queer, but I, I don't know this list. I love the idea that this has become a political thing to choose your song. Yes, well, I, I do want to talk through some of the choices yes, I would specifically, love to know and perhaps we can glean from a couple of Perfect. them. Bernie Sanders, of course, chose Power to the People by John Lennon, which I feel like that is not exactly a surprise. No, it's really on the nose. Right, and Bernie. Tulsi Gabbard, however, has uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Marvin Gaye, <laughs> and Tammy Terrell also sings that song. That so, song has nothing to do, like, yeah. the, the White House is not your baby. Like, it's about, like, I, climbing to be in love, right? I mean, climbing. Oh, God. Is there, she should have chosen Miley Cyrus, there? the climb. I mean, uh, could, also, could also be that. Um, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has Good as Hell by Lizzo, Ugh. which I love that song. I love that for her, but it also feels like she's just really going after that LGBT vote. You feel like it's a little it's bit of a fair. pander. She was like shopping with Chastin Buttigieg the other day for pride <laughs> gear. It's a, this is your opponent, girl. Fight. Like, what are you doing? Don't actually fight, but like this whole like, oh, we're going to go shopping for pride is kind of... yeah. Mm. Well, let me tell you about some of the others. Congressman Tim Ryan has Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. Very really? popular song right now. <laughs> Very I popular it. song. It is popular, but that, I don't understand why that would be your song. Senator Elizabeth Warren has 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. Love that. Sign off. Elizabeth Warren, wonderful job. I, yeah, I love Dolly Parton. I the, mean, yeah. And she also politically is great. Like, she is from the Appalachian Mountains. She's from Tennessee. She's kind of like, you know, she's liberal. She's accepting LGBT people. But, you know, the conservatives love her. Really good job, Elizabeth. It's true. Everybody loves a little uh, Dollywood. You know, mm, you can find yes. everybody there. And then, uh, finally, we are going to be talking to Governor Jay Inslee later on on the show. And his song is an electric light orchestra song called Mr. Blue Sky. Of course, his big uh, campaign issue is climate change. So a That's little a allusion, a a allusion to that. But, Can't wait uh, to talk about that one. We'll definitely ask him about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, let's take it to the timeline. What song would you pick for your walkout music? Tweet us using the hashtag AM2DM. What would you pick? I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I have to say my Lord and Savior, Beyonce, Knowles Carter. Uh, but specifically, Diva from the Homecoming album, the live set That's from the Coachella. That would make me, you know, have the energy to do this sprint or marathon or a marathon sprint called Running for President. Oh my goodness. What would you choose? Well, I would choose Spice World. By the Spice Girls. Alex will but do anything I to put Spice w- Girls. I would, but also please bear with me. There is actually like a okay, musical Walk me reason. through it's the logic. The beginning of the song, there's this build up to the moment when you get to hear their voices. Mm-hmm. It would be very strategic. Okay. Or I would choose Lizzo Fitness because it's just got such a good beat, like great pump up jam. Okay. So, yeah. I love that for you. Can't I wait to read that. everybody else's. Well, speaking of strategy, we saw a little bit of that yesterday when Congress invited former attorney John Dean to help make arguments on why President Donald Trump should be impeached. And he was not alone. Alex Thomas tweeted, I scoop led it this last week, but Joyce Vance and Barbara McQuaid, who will be testifying beside John Dean, both signed on with a long list of prosecutors who said they would have charged Trump. And Donald Trump this morning took to Twitter to push back on mounting arguments that he should be impeached. Mm. Alex Thomas, Washington correspondent for Playboy, joins us now to explain what happened yesterday. Good morning, Alex. Hey, how are you? We're doing great. Great. Thank you for joining us. So let's start off. Uh, John Dean is known for his work around the Nixon impeachment. Why did Democrats bring him to Congress? Yeah, so Democrats brought him to Congress because they want uh, to help illustrate the Mueller report is what they were telling me last week. Um, They wanted, you know, John Dean probably gave the most famous uh, testimony in congressional history, honestly. Um, And so... Uh, somebody compared it to the Rolling Stones playing Beast of Burden like 60 years later or, or whatever, you know? Um, I mean, this if, if you're going to bring a ringer, this is probably the one you bring. Um, so yeah, so they brought him in uh, to compare, to kind of draw the contrast between Watergate and what's been happening in uh, the Trump administration. So you mentioned uh, they wanted to show that contrast between Watergate and Dean has compared it uh, to Russian interference in the election. Um, did he make that same comparison yesterday? Yeah, so he talked about that a lot. Um, at, at one point, he was accused of comparing every president to Nixon, and he <laughs> you know, tried to make it clear that, uh, no, D- Donald Trump, like, I, I recognize all of this. I've seen this all before. So he tried to make it clear that, you know, this looks a lot like what I saw during Watergate. Um, I, I think that he he was a very good congressional witness. I mean, he made that point really strongly. So, yeah. he. I think we counted about six parallels between Watergate and Russia that he made. Could you walk us through a few so people have something to kind of bite into? Yeah, yeah. So um, there were a few specific things. I would say that the largest one was uh, the obstruction of justice charge. So John Dean was... Um, he was one of the main people in the cover-up that Nixon went through when he was trying to cover up Watergate. Um, so we saw that a lot. Another comparison that was very uh, interesting was the comparison. So John Dean was the White House counsel under Nixon. And the current White House, or I guess the just current White House counsel, is Don McGahn, who they've refused to bring before, uh, or the White House has like, kind of kept McGahn away from Congress. So there was that comparison between uh, Dean and McGahn, who, uh, you know, you know, s- some people in the Trump orbit have been really tight in the cover-ups. Uh, you know, Michael Cohen is in jail right now because, in part, because he helped Donald Trump cover stuff up. 
Um, and so that's kind of what John Dean said. He said, you know, look, I mean, there are specific figures that are very similar to the role that I played during the Nixon administration. Now, Barbara, Barbara McQuaid and Joyce Vance were there yesterday. Um, who are they and what did they have to say? Yeah, so Barbara McQuaid and Joyce Vance are both uh, former prosecutors. Um, both of them signed on to a letter that about a th over a thousand former prosecutors signed on to saying that they would prosecute uh, the president if he wasn't the president on an obstruction of justice charge. Um, last week, I was uh, the first person to grab this, that they were going to be among the two. I didn't know that it was going to be them. Ironically, I uh, was on television with Joyce Vance last week, uh, just after I figured that out. Um, but so they were, they were saying that, look, as former prosecutors, we would, we would prosecute this guy if it wasn't for the fact that he was the president. And that was a point that Robert Mueller made, uh, when he spoke to us publicly last or, um, it was last week or two weeks ago was look, the department of justice rules say that we can't prosecute a president. So, I mean, like our hands are tied here. I mean, that's the point that, uh, Joyce Vance and uh, Barbara McQuaid made was, uh, you know, this is something that we would do if it weren't, you know, if he, if he wasn't the president. Mm, something we would do if he wasn't president. I feel like we're going <laughs> to be hearing that a lot. Thank you, Alex, so much for joining us Thank today. You. We hope you have a great rest of your day. Okay, thanks so much, guys. Twitter is known for trolling. However, many didn't know there is a tool on the platform that's helping only fuel this issue. CNBC tweeted, trolls use this little-known Twitter feature to swarm others with abuse, and their targets say Twitter hasn't done much to stop it. Van Newkirk tweeted, Twitter knows lists have been a tool for harassment forever. Since they haven't fixed it, a good routine to make your experience suck as little as possible is to frequently check the lists you're in and block the creators of all of the weird ones. Lauren Feiner covered this story for CNBC and joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So let's jump right in. How do the users you talk to say they're being targeted by this list function? Sure. Well, a lot of the people I interviewed told me that often they'll get dragged into a Twitter list after posting um, some sort of maybe political tweet. A lot of times that tweet might get pulled into a forum like Reddit or 4chan where people recognize it and at some point, they end up on a list and start to notice that they're being targeted with abuse that seems to repeat uh, certain similar messages that seems to be calling on a particular tweet that they had sent in the past. Mm. So we reached out to Twitter last night and a spokesperson told us that they are always working to make the platform, quote, healthier. And then in, in 2017, quote, we quickly introduced the notifications and the experience to help curb harassment. How have notifications made a difference in those lists? Yeah, so uh, notifications have been really helpful for people who find they're targeted by abuse through lists. Um, but at some point in 2017, uh, Twitter actually decided they were going to roll back notifications. Um, and then just two hours after they said they were going to do that, they ended up reversing that decision because so many people had told them look, notifications are a really helpful way for us to know that we were added to a list and that that's where the abuse is stemming from. Um, because then at least people know where they can go to deal with that abuse. At least people know where they can go to deal with that abuse. Um, what did the users you spoke with do to protect themselves? 
Well, a lot of them sort of cobbled together information from the internet. Um, they said that Twitter support pages could be helpful, but really they had to sort of figure it out on their own. So some of them um, realized that if you block the creator of a list, then you can remove yourself from that list. Um, others might just delete the tweet where they realized um, all the abuse was being directed towards um, as a way to kind of, you know, nip it in the bud. Um, but you know, some of them also use these third-party tools that have been developed specifically to try and cut off abuse on Twitter um, because they found that using Twitter's own functions wasn't enough. In your story, all of the subjects are women. And I'd love to hear how women are specifically targeted with harassment on the platform compared to other identities. Sure, yeah. I think um, women who I interviewed told me that um, they find that they're often a target of this sort of abuse online because um, the people who target them seem to have um, a perception that their voices and the way that they tend to use their voices on the platform um, isn't acceptable. Um, a lot of these people I talk to uh, tend to be pretty outspoken online. And I was also told by a lot of the people I interviewed that this issue particularly affects women of color especially. Um, and this is something that a lot of women of color online are experiencing and um, can speak to a lot. Really important to make that point. A fascinating story. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And coming up, Zach and I are talking to 2020 presidential candidate and Washington State Governor Jay Inslee. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Woo! Woo! Hotness. Ready? <laughs> Welcome back. It's that time. Oh. Time for fire Giving space. Woo. Serving yes. for the heat. But At. first, yes, <laughs> we were talking about what the 2020 candidates' walkout songs are. And Jess Goodwin tweeted, Rebel Girl, if she could have a walkout song, Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill would be her pick. And I love that song. I love that. I love that song. That's great. Yes, Jess. Really. Ooh, yeah. Yes, just tweet us more. Oh, more songs. Well, speaking of tweets, we got your first one. <laughs> and it comes from Diarrhea. <laughs> Who tweeted? My new comeback to anyone being mean to me is to say, quote, everyone's DMing me right now saying you need to grow up. And frankly, I agree. I, you know, I want to use it a lot, but I think the people I want to say to most won't get the job. <laughs> if you're like, everyone's DMing me. And they're like, what is a you're DM? Like, what is a DM? What's going on? How is on? everyone DMing you? It's like, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have that. Yeah, much. yeah. But I, I'm going to float it. You know, right. I'm going to use it as a quote tweet. Thing. All right. That Give would it, be a good quote tweet. That would be a good quote Everyone's tweet. Everyone's telling me you're garbage. Give it a little try. <laughs> Seth, you tweeted, me at 2 a.m. around the house. And yes, <laughs> well, that is hit. me at 2 a.m. around hit. the hit. house. hit. hit. <laughs> little legend. Uh, little legend. I just really love seeing archival footage of me as a young person. There you go. I just want to say the reason that I'm tired today is, is you? because that was me <laughs> So Your there wife you must really it. love that. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. So Zach, another Zach. Another Zach. You tweet it. The first 10 minutes of going to anyone's place in LA is them trying to calm down their dogs while telling you, quote, this never happens. Okay. I'm feeling very, you know, touched by this one. Yeah. I lived in Los Angeles for a long time. I'll be there this weekend. And I cannot tell you how often this happens. And it's just a pure lie. Your dog's crazy. Your dog doesn't like me. Your male person, air 
grass, everything. Get a new okay. dog. Okay. Actually, keep your dog. It's cute. But just like, don't tell me it's like, oh, it's a new this thing. It never happens. I have been. There's, this never happens. It's the first time. Yes, I'm always like, just, it's a thing. I feel like that is the tell when someone says this never happens. You're like, okay. Like, "Mm, yeah, all right. mm -hmm. Okay, sure. (laughs) Lola, you tweeted, I'm teaching my boyfriend's son to bark instead of talk because why not? It's not my kid. (laughs) Barking is a a language when I don't speak. It's not, I I am not fluent in it. It's a form of communication. (laughs) For someone, dogs. dogs. You can go talk to the dogs and make them stop barking when people are That would change my whole life at a dog park. Oh my gosh. An orchestra of sound. Yes. So let's go to the tweet of the day. You ready? Yep. Boom. Tweet of the day comes from Airhead. Got to my dad's house and he was showing me all the food he he has for me to snack on. (laughs) Sorry, I'm already laughing. And he goes, and I have a guacamole ball. What's a guacamole ball, you ask? Well, I will tell you, an avocado. He has an avocado. (laughs) Okay, avocados are guacamole balls. No, I cannot let that stand. I'm sorry. No, in this house, we do not call avocados guacamole balls. I am so offended by this. I really, no, Oprah would have all the guacamole balls. Because if you don't know this, she, she Instagrams a lot about her avocados, which I now want to tell her. I don't know Oprah like that, by the way. I'm just going to comment guacamole balls. <laughs> no, I cannot let this, I, 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 I'm sorry. Fine. This is, this will not stand. Not, not behind this I'm desk. Gonna, I'm going to bring you some guacamole balls. I never again. I don't even <laughs> want to hear it. So I'm just going to move on with my life. Guacamole balls. Coming up, I'm sitting down with actor Carla Gugino, star of Jet, a new action series on Cinemax. But up next, we are talking to 2020 presidential candidate, Governor Jay Inslee. Who probably loves guacamole balls. Oh my God. Enough. <laughs> Welcome back. Joining us today to talk about what's at stake in the 2020 election is Washington State Governor and presidential candidate Jay Inslee. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. What a treat. What a yes. beautiful morning. Oh, We're glad to have you in here. Yeah. Beautiful because you're here, Governor. That's <laughs> That's I've never heard that before in my entire campaign, so oh, thank you. All right. Here, I'm if first. my wife was here, that would be true. Oh. oh. Well, don't tell her I said it. <laughs> governor, I want to start off with a tweet from Politico. Uh-huh. Uh, it says, Washington Governor Jay Inslee told the DNC, or said the DNC informed him it will not dedicate mm. one of its presidential primary debates to the mm-hmm. issue of climate change. Mm-hmm. You've been working hard to make that happen for a long time. Time. Mm-hmm. Are you now going to host your own town hall or kind of forum to have that conversation? Could be. We might have to do that. But right now I'm trying to convince the DNC to listen to the hundreds of thousands of voices in the grassroots who really are calling for this debate. We know this is the existential threat. We know this is our last chance to literally save, you know, this little blue planet from this catastrophe. And the Democratic Party is the only party who can produce a candidate to do that. So we need to have a full, fair debate. And uh, nine state chairs are now going to bring a resolution to have this debate. We need to make sure that the candidates are all called up to really put their cards on the table. I have a plan to to defeat climate change. I'm Mm. the only candidate in the race who is saying that this has to be the first priority of the next president. If it's not job one, it won't get done. Mm -hmm. And I'm the only candidate that says we have to do what is scientifically required which is to stop using coal in the next 10 years, stop having fossil fuels in the next decade and a half, stop having cars that are putting so much pollution Mm -hmm. out in the next decade. So I think it's really important for candidates to be called before the public and know what their plans are. If we have to go a different route, 
Uh, we may, but that shouldn't be necessary. I'm really hopeful that uh, the grassroots are listened to here. Mm. Well, you mentioned the grassroots and Extinction Rebellion and emergency climate activists have gone so far as to superglue themselves mm. to the top of trains and to the sides of trains in mm. London. Do you think that's an effective tactic? You know, if you look at the progress in America, uh, most frequently when we've had a big progress in social justice, it's involved some nonviolent civil disobedience. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King uh, understood the power of nonviolent civil disobedience. And if that's necessary to get this job done, I cannot speak against it. But, you know, it shouldn't take that. It should be making sure we have leaders who will step up to the plate and say they're going to get this job done. I've been fighting this for uh, almost two decades now. I've established the Climate Alliance. We now have 24 states that have joined uh, Andrew Cuomo and Jerry Brown and myself. I actually co-authored a book about this 12 years ago. So I'm ready for this job. We have to have leaders who will make this the number one priority of the United States. And I'm capable and committed to doing that. Nothing uh, else will do for our grandkids. Mm. You mentioned civil disobedience. Would you yourself be willing to be arrested to prevent climate change? I suppose, but I think it's better to get elected president of the United States. I may be able to be more successful in that (laughs) particular position rather than in the who's gal. But listen, I I am so inspired with people. I I was on a park bench here in New York in front of the UN with a a 14-year-old woman named Alexandria Villasenor. She's leading the students' climate strike uh, every Friday in the United States. This generation of leaders, I love to see that people are standing up. They're calling for their elders to get off the dime and save them from this moral outrage. And I'm committed to doing that. I'm the candidate who is committed to doing that. So uh, I look forward to having a full debate on this. Great, Mm. great, great. One of the things that I learned this morning when I was reading up about this issue is that we could actually face a beer shortage in the future because of climate (laughs) change. And you yourself have said that you are a beer lover. Would you be willing to give up beer if it meant helping the planet? I think we should have both uh, a beer and a healthy planet, and we need to have both. (laughs) You know, I was at the floods. I've been really on a tour of the disaster that people are now experiencing. I went to Paradise, California, met people whose homes were burned down, a town of 25,000, torched right to the foundations. I was in Davenport, Iowa, and I, I went to a brewery that was was flooded out. And a comment I made to this to the gentleman who runs the brewery is that, uh, look, climate change is a problem, but when breweries are, are drowned out, that's a crisis. And we have a <laughs> crisis right now. It is a crisis. It's causing tears across the country. In Davenport, I saw a woman who is a, has a nonprofit to help victims of domestic violence. She's had it. She helps 1,500 young women, um, not so young women, a year, and now it's destroyed. And her tears are real. We need someone in the White House who's made a commitment like I have. And I, I got in this race for a reason. I decided that on my last days on earth, I wanted to be able to look my grandchildren in the eye and said, I did everything humanly possible to defeat climate change. And that's why I'm in this race. And I've got an experience as governor of Washington, having passed the best 100% clean energy bill, the best uh, clean uh, uh, buildings bill in America. I want to bring that to, to the United States like all the other things I've got done in my state, which is the best gender pay equity, the highest teacher pay increase in the United States, uh, the first public option, the first uh, net neutrality bill. I want to bring all the success that I've been able to achieve in my state 
to the people of America, and mm. I'm ready for that job. Mm. And speaking of states, I'd love to get your thoughts on a new legislation, a new legislation that was introduced yesterday in New York that's mm-hmm. seeking to decriminalize sex work. Mm-hmm. You in the past have been asked by BuzzFeed for your position on the matter, and we have not received a response. So today mm. we'd love to hear your thoughts on the decriminalization of sex work across America. Well, I, my view is the federal government should not intrude. I'm, I'm not proposing any federal legislation mm-hmm. on this regard. Uh, uh, but I will mention something. Maybe you think it's off topic, but I don't. Those workers and everybody else have to have access to health care. And this is an important issue because a lot of people who have been in this area uh, need to have two things. One number, health care, and one, the women, and they're principally women who are involved in this, need to be treated as victims rather than perpetrators. And I do believe the law enforcement community needs to change the orientation where the real uh, perpetrators, which frankly are 90% men, Mm -hmm. those need to be the people involved in the law enforcement activity, not the women who are victimized very frequently, including in slavery and and, and trafficking. And so we have been very active in my state to crack down on the trafficking that occurs. The tragedies of young women who are brought into this uh, is just heart-rendering. So that's what we're involved in in my state. Mm. And you mentioned uh, giving uh, health care and taking care of people that mm-hmm. are workers here. So are you saying that you do think this type of work should not be punished at all? By the I, law? I, I'm not, what I'm saying is I'm not proposing any federal changes in law. There's state laws. I'm running for a federal position. Mm-hmm. But I believe we need to change our health care laws where everybody has access to health care. And that's why we are the first state to have embraced the public option. So I've been the first governor to extend a, a publicly sanctioned health care plan for people in my state. We've also done the first long-term elder care uh, in, the United, in the United States. So we're busy expanding healthcare. Healthcare ought to be a universal right. We're doing this and moving in that direction in my state. And I'd like to do that as president. Mm. Well, speaking of healthcare and access to healthcare, at a New Hampshire campaign stop in May, you said that abortion access should be a civil right, mm-hmm. like the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Huh? What exactly did you mean by that? What I mean is, is that it should be treated as a civil right meaning Congress should pass and the president should sign a bill that guarantees in federal law the right of access to a woman's right of choice. We should not just depend on a Supreme Court decision. It should be the law of the United States by statute. And I want to extend to all of the women of the United States what we've done in Washington state, which is to make sure that you have health care insurance for access to your family planning as well. So we've passed one of the best reproductive parity bills in the United States so that women have access to their insurance policies and the insurance companies can't deny women health care reimbursement through their health care plans. That needs to be a federal civil right as well. So I'm eager to do this. I've been very engaged in this effort, uh, you know, for decades. I don't know how people for 40 years have not understood that the Hyde Amendment needs to go. I've been fighting against the Hyde Amendment. Because, if, look, if this is a constitutional right of women. Uh, it shouldn't be illegal for, uh, you know, to deny poor women access to these services. This is a constitutional right. And so I've had this position for decades, and I will maintain today, yesterday, and tomorrow, I'm going to be fighting for the rights of women. Mm. So speaking of position, we have a tweet from Lil Nas today. For who's it? Lil, Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X. Sorry, he's a, he's a young rapper. Uh, and he says, when I said I got the horses in the back, it was in reference to reversing the ongoing climate change, water pollution, and catastrophic political climate we are witnessing in these trying times. And you said, I like this remix. Now, Old Town Road is more in line with your platform, but did you avoid using it as your walkout music because it's Tim Ryan's song? Well, um, 
Uh, I actually know Tim Ryan. We were roommates in Congress at one time. So <laughs> that, that was not a problem. I have to admit, though, that uh, I got overruled on walkout music. I wanted Born to be Wild. And somehow my campaign staff overruled me at the last moment. That'll never happen again. Born so to we're, be wild. So we're, we're going to have a little more vigorous music next time. So that's why you had Mr. Blue Sky. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talk to my staff about that. All right. <laughs> well, we'll have to do that. <laughs> I, like, I like the blues, but I don't know. The blue sky might, might be a little too much. All right. Oh, <laughs> God. Well, thank you for joining us today, Governor. Thank or you. Also thank now you known so as Mr. Born to be Wild. Oh, <laughs> okay. Really great to have you. Later in the show, Alex sits down with Carla Gugino. But up next, I'm talking about what's going on between Tom Cruise and Justin Bieber. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Here's a treat from Justin Bieber. I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you're scared and you will never live it down. Who is willing to put on the fight? Here to help me make sense of this nonsense is Madeline Agler, <laughs> writer for The Cut. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Are you so excited that we just spent our day debating such an important topic? You know, thank God someone's talking about it. It's really important, and I'm really happy to be here. So you wrote about this situation. I did. And is there any sense of why Bieber posted about it yesterday? Um, there's really not, and I think that's what took everyone so mm-hmm. aback, is it seemed to come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um and a UFC fight is not a common thing that celebrities challenge each other to. No. So, yeah, no, it really seemed to come out of the blue. Ugh. And we have a tweet from former UFC champion Conor McGregor, who tweeted, I challenged Mark Wahlberg on the very same card, back when Mark Wahlberg was Mar- Marky Mark. I would have still slapped the ears off of him. So how common is it for celebrities to at least try to attempt this? So you say it's not an everyday thing, but there seems to be a few moments in time that we've had that happen. Um, A little bit. So for the most part, the celebrities who have taken part in Mm -hmm. UFC fights have been WWE fighters, wrestlers, other athletes. Jose Canseco once Mm -hmm. challenged Alex Rodriguez to a fight. Wow. Um, They never, it never happened. Um, But no, it's really uncommon and especially for Mm non-athletes to do this. Mm. And do you think Tom Cruise is going to take him up on this offer? I do not. I would love it if he did, though. Okay, well, if they're not going to do it, you and I are going to work out who would actually win if they did. Okay. So are you ready for this? I'm ready. So in order for us to figure this out, we're going to give some paddles out. <laughs> this is what they look like, America, right here. And we're going to go through some head-to-head scenarios, and you're going to tell me who would come out on top, okay. Bieber or Cruz. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Okay, great. So for context, their ages are, do you know their ages? Yes. Um, Justin Bieber is 25 and Tom Cruise is 56. So there's an age discrepancy Age discrepancy. Do you think that's going to give one of them kind of a heads up or hand up on this? Um, I don't think so. I think they're pretty even because Justin has youth, but Tom has experience. Okay, well, let's get started. So physical fitness, Bieber's MMA training versus Cruise's Mission Impossible stunts. Cruise. Wait one second. Ah, there we go. Cruise. Cruise. Why Cruise? His movies, he's at a dead run for like mm-hmm. hours at a time. I think his cardiovascular just like potential mm-hmm. is unlimited pretty much. So he's had the time in the ring already. Where yeah. Bieber, has he ever trained like this at this level? Um, I don't. 
I don't know if it's exactly at this level, but he did used to be pretty good friends with Floyd Mayweather. Oh. Um, and would go, the boxer, and mm-hmm. he would go to his matches, and apparently they sort of trained together a little bit, and Justin has boxed before. Okay. So he does, it wouldn't be like an immediate knockout, I don't Okay, think. so he'd give him a little rumble. Yeah. And it would happen. All right, so next question. Okay. Bieber's dancing in Where Are You Now versus Tom Cruise in Risky Business. Oh. So we have them there. Oh, um, I'm going to say Bieber. <gasps> Why Bieber? I just think he's like bringing more energy and just sort of like, I don't know. I, I, he takes it for me. Okay, but Tom Cruise is an iconic, you know, the shirt. How many people have you seen dress up as Tom Cruise? A lot. For that. In that A lot. Dozens. But I, I guess say. they're never that strong. And I feel like the main move Tom Cruise has is a slide. That's true. He's and the like, rest is just wiggling, so you know? So you just be sliding around. Yeah. That, that thing. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. In recent project competition, Bieber just released I Don't Care with Ed Sheeran, and Cruise is making Top Gun Maverick. Yes. So between those two, which is better? And who would win in that mm, head-to-head? In that head-to-head? Yeah. I'm going to say Cruise again. Wow. Um, I just, he's... You know, rebooting Top Gun after such a long time, mm-hmm. and I think people are really excited about it. And I wasn't so into the song, I have to admit. <gasps> oh my God, um, teen, you're about to be trolled by every teenage. I know. I mean, it was incredible. It's just I'm old and fusty, so. <laughs> okay, so let's go to spiritual advisors. Bieber has Hillsong Church, and then Cruz has Scientology. Who would win? Oh, I really love this question. I'm going to say... Ugh. Really? To mix it up. Do you know how powerful the Church of Scientology is? It's so powerful, (laughs) but have you seen how ripped Justin Bieber's pastor is? No. He's shredded. Why did no one prepare me for this? He's hot. (laughs) He, yeah, I'm, he's very, very ripped. So So, is he ripped and not hot or just? uh, That's what I would say personally. Oh my God. But if it was like a head-to-head between Carl Wentz and like David Miscavige, Mm -hmm. I would say Carl Wentz. Okay, there we go, America. Public meltdown. Bieber left his monkey in Germany, and Cruz has jumped on the couch of Oprah. Oh. Which is a better, better meltdown? I'm going to say I love the monkey story, and I try to reference it as much as possible, (laughs) but I'm going to say Cruz just because it was on camera, so we all got to enjoy it, whereas the monkey, I feel like, was more like Mm -hmm. the authorities had to intervene. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't—if we had seen the monkey incident— Far and away, that would win. I wonder if Oprah has dreams where, like, Tom is jumping on the couch in front of her again, and she's like, get down, get down. I do, so I can only imagine (laughs) that she does as well. You have been traumatized just by watching it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, powerful exes. Selena Gomez or Nicole Kidman? (gasps) Oh, my God. I know, tough. Very tough. I hate having to make this decision, but Nicole Kidman. (gasps) I agree. Yeah. I really agree, especially with Big Little Lies. Yeah, I mean, she's incredible. And, like, Selena Gomez is incredible at as well, but Nicole Kidman is iconic. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. Well, America, that means that Tom Cruise is our winner for today. Well, thank you so much for playing <laughs> this game with us. Me. It was really fun. And yeah. we'll have to find new celebrities to debate over in yes. the future. Uh, so up next is Alex, who's talking to actor Carla Dugino. So stay tuned. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with actor Carla Gugino, star of Jet, a new action series on Cinemax. Thank you so much for joining me. So happy to be here. So the character you play is a master thief, and I want to give our viewers a sense of what she's like. So <laughs> let's take a look. Okay, very good. But you just moved here recently, right? Yeah. Yeah, where did you live before? Prison. 
<laughs> prison. She is not kidding around. And I feel like you've played a lot of badass strong woman characters before. I've seen this character characterized a little bit as a femme fatale, but how would you describe her? Yeah, it's interesting because I have played certainly strong, uh, pretty ballsy women. This this character is different though. She is uh, she's very pragmatic. Um, she's unsentimental. She's not introspective. Um, and she's just really good at what she does, but she's not Robin Hood at all. She has her own moral <laughs> compass. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, what's interesting in this piece is that the female characters in the show are actually more practical and the hmm. male characters are more romantic. And in fact, I would say that, that one of the male characters is sort of our own fatal. Oh, uh, interesting. Whereas Jet is more like something that you might imagine sort of a young Clint Eastwood would have played. Or it's a, it's been interesting with this role because she uh, she doesn't reveal much. She's very compelling, but you don't quite understand her from the beginning. Mm. You posted on Instagram about this project that it was a long time coming. Yeah. Why were you so dedicated to making it happen? Well, Sebastian Gutierrez, who created it, had written all a nine hours uh on spec wow. for free, like it was there. It's been and when we went and pitched it. Um, I'm a producer on it as well, and so we mm-hmm. went and pitched it several years ago. And there were many almosts, but we really wanted to make it. We didn't want to do a pilot. We wanted to shoot it all like one big movie, mm-hmm. which is what we did. And so um, I just I I think the story is so beautifully written. It, it weaves in and out of time, time frames mm-hmm. back and forth, and so it's really fun for the audience in that way. And I just love the fact that it's. It's playful, it's, it's, it's stylized, it's got these saturated colors, but then the violence really has consequences. It mm. really, when it goes deep, it goes deep. So there's humor, but the humor is not found in the violence. Mm, interesting. Well, I tweeted out that you were coming on the show. We got a lot of questions from fans, and so one of our viewers had this question for you. How is it to play Violet McGraw's mother again, and now in such a different role? Did you know from the start when you met Violet that you wanted her to play your daughter? I did. It's funny, when oh, wow. we, were, we were shooting The Haunting of Hill House, and... Um, Violet is one of the best actresses that I've worked with, even, and, and, and then she's seven. So it's crazy. <laughs> and then she's seven. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, when, when we got the green light for Jet and we knew we were going to do it, I said immediately, like, I cannot imagine somebody else playing Alice, so, um, which is my daughter's character in Jet. And, uh, and we did, it was, they're vastly different relationships. And she fell very organically right into that mm. as well. She actually is just landing in New York today for the premiere tonight. She's very excited, even though I'm going to have to let her know that she probably can't watch me. <laughs> <laughs> She's allowed, she can be in it, but exactly. she can't even watch it. That's really funny. Another viewer, Jen, asked, how did you decompress after a role like Olivia Crane on The Haunting of Hill House? How was your experience starring while also being an executive producer on Jet? So two-part so two question, decompress. Well, one Olivia thing Crane. I can say is that uh, decompressing with, uh, uh, in terms of Olivia was challenging mm. because that was over an eight-month process. And so there were lots of times where we were filming in Atlanta where I flew in and out. And so because that character and that world is so intense, I felt always like I couldn't quite put it away when I left set. So I had it sort of percolating on the back burner. And it was a really hard person to, and world to live in, though I just love playing that character so much. What was really crazy, and it ties into Jet, so maybe this person knew this uh, (laughs) without knowing that they knew it, is that I was supposed to have six weeks in between, and I had one week in between. And uh, so the letting go of Olivia to take on Jet, they couldn't be more polar opposites. I mean, Olivia was... Her emotions are right at the surface, and she's she's um, extremely um, emo- just very emotional, very emotionally connected. And Jet is is totally different creature. And so Sebastian, in directing me, 
um, which was part of sort of letting go of Olivia, I think still was very much like, I'm seeing too much empathy. Mm. I need less. I need less. It looks like you care too much. Less, less. <laughs> and uh, so it was a really interesting uh, transition. Mm. And then the second part of that question was, how was your experience starring while also being an executive producer? Yes. Um, well, you know what? It was fantastic because I was able to be a part of casting from the beginning. Um, uh, and and that was really amazing to put together this beautiful cast of people and and be a part of that. And then also in post-production, um, being able to be a part is see the color timing and all of the editing and the sound design. And, and, and I think that the thing for me is producing, what it does allow is the fact that the final product, you have a much better shot at it being what you actually wanted mm. to create from the beginning because so often things can go off the rails. And so in this case, I feel like I'm bringing a show to the world that is what I wanted it to be. So um, hopefully it's what other people enjoy as well. Yeah, well, we'll have to stay tuned. And I know something that a lot of people are hungry about learning more is that uh, the new season of The Haunting of Hill House, which mm -hmm. is called Bly Manor. And I have to say, I watched the teaser and there is this ominous voice in the background that I think sounded a little <laughs> bit like you. Will you be in this new show in Bly Manor? Uh, you know what, if, if there's any chance that I can, I will be. So it is yet to be determined, but I would love to. I, I love cl collaborating with Mike Flanagan and I love that show, so. So cryptic, <laughs> I'm so intrigued. The people wanna know. Um, well, I wanna shift gears a little bit to talk about one of your personal relationships, which is you have been friends with actor Connie Britton for like 25 yeah. years now. Yeah. You've both delved into the horror genre. Do you ever just like look at each other and you're like, damn, we made it. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely, we, we just co-hosted uh, with our dear friend Malin Ackerman, the African Children's Choir event last night. And um, and she's here for the premiere tonight in support of me. Um, and so that is the most, it's it's one of the most gratifying uh, relationships of my life. And we do, we often reminisce that I think there's so much more that we both want to do. Mm. And um, and yet we we do think about the, the days when we first were in our early 20s in New York, um, you know, going out and getting cosmopolitans and sort of like talking <laughs> about our dreams of what we wanted to create as actors. So to be able to um, cheer each other on is so incredible. And we do. I mean, it's, it's you know, for sure. It's great history you cannot replace with anything else, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I adore her and her work. And so it's always so amazing to see mm. um, it's just both get to be doing what we love to do. Mm. Well, speaking of the choir, um, yeah. it's one of the causes that you support. Yeah. And I actually saw last year that you reposted something that Connie posted about the Keep Families Together Act. Is it important to you to use your platform to convey a political message? You know, it's interesting because I am not a political person mm -hmm. by nature. And, and Connie is a political person by nature, actually, which is interesting. Um, but I am a humanitarian. And I think that at this point, um, the, the, there's so many crazy things happening in the world and in this country right now that any moment, I don't, it's not about getting up on a soapbox and it's not about being an expert in anything um, because, you know, my expertise is in acting. Um, but I do think it's important um, when you have a voice to share your own strong beliefs. And uh, they may not be everybody's, but I do, I do feel strongly that in a moment when you have something to say that it is important to share it. Mm. Well, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. So great time. Thanks for making time for us on a yeah. busy week. So happy to be here. And Jet premieres on Friday, June 14th on Cinemax. Up next, we're talking about LGBT family rights. BuzzFeed News tweeted, Most parents take for granted that their baby is legally theirs from the day they're born. 
That's not the case for many LGBTQ families. Alison Hope, a writer and advocate, joins me now to discuss her piece, Our Son Was Born, Then We Had to Convince a Judge We Were His Parents. Thank you so much for joining me. Sure, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. So I want to get right into this. What made you want to share both this personal and challenging experience? Sure, sure. Um, You know, New York State is one of the most draconian when it comes to some uh, parental rights laws that are surprising. You know, we think of New York as progressive. Uh, It's Pride Month. Um, you know, now is the time for us to be talking about these issues if, if we're not talking about them the rest of the year. And, you know, my family's struggle is resonated by many others. So if, if by telling my story and sharing my story can help advocate for an update in the laws that are so desperately needed and uh, the ability to help other families so their process is easier, um, then it's worth it. One of the things you said is is that New York's laws are quite draconian, which people may not realize. And uh, some of that may be illustrated by the actual experience you have to go through uh, in this process. So what does it feel like to be subject to having someone come to your home to assess your ability to parent a kid you're already raising? Yeah, it's a it's a scary experience. You know, I think you you feel like a second class citizen. Um, you, you go through the process of creating another life, and the excitement and the terrors of becoming a parent, um, you know, are enough all on their own. And then to feel like uh, somehow we're being treated differently um, and disproportionately, you know, more more cumbersome in terms of the process to to simply secure legal rights for the child we're already raising. It's just it just doesn't it doesn't feel fair. Mm. Well, speaking of. Um securing those rights, what is a second parent adoption decree? And can you walk me through the process to get one? Yeah, sure. So uh, there's a patchwork of legal protections in the United States, right? Every state has its own laws. New York happens to be one of the worst, which means most cumbersome, expensive, invasive, um, and long in terms of timeline. So if one parent is not biologically related to the child, as is the case with plenty of families increasingly, also disproportionately LGBTQ families, you have to go through this legal these legal hurdles, essentially, to get uh, what is really the only globally recognized uh, legal document, the adoption papers, second parent adoption. Um, And so after a child is born in New York, you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can then uh, file uh, a legal paperwork. And that means working with a lawyer because it's very complex in New York, uh, which costs a good amount of money. It means uh, requiring a social worker that you have to pay out of pocket to come into your home for hours um, and interview both parents, including the biological parent. Um, You have to undergo background checks and submit all kinds of different documents, um, testimonies from people in your life who claim you're a good parent um, when, you know, maybe you've been a parent for a month uh, or three months, and then you enter the court system. So, you know, it's it's a waiting process um, that could take anywhere from months to a year or more before then you're presented in front of a judge and um, have someone else yet judging your ability um, to be a legal parent to the child you're already raising. I mean, it really sounds like hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, and we keep on saying that New York lags behind other places. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about how exactly it lags behind more conservative states when it comes to laws on legal parentage? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, So if you look at um, 
you know, California is not a conservative state, right? But it's sort of the gold star example of what the process could look like. Um, you go online, you download a one-page form, you fill it out, uh, you know, in 10 minutes, you submit a $10 payment and you can secure legal guardianship uh, and parentage for your child. Um, states like Texas, Alabama have more updated laws. Um, the bill that's pending in New York relates to legal parentage and second parent adoption and uh, what's called a judgment of parentage. Uh, it also extends to surrogacy, um, which is illegal in New York. New York is only one of three states in the entire country uh, where surrogacy is illegal. Um, and, and states like Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, you name it, right? They, it's legal in those places, but not New York. Yeah, that's another one of those things that people may not realize about New York State. And in your piece, you discuss a bill sponsored by New York's only out gay senator, Brad Holyman, that would make this entire process easier for LGBTQ families. What exactly is in this bill? Yeah, sure. So the, the bill is really in a lot of ways like the Modern Family Act, right? It's, it's, it's New York catching up or needing to catch up with current state of family dynamics. And so on the one hand, it would make surrogacy legal, which it is uh, either legal or there's no law on the books in 47 of the 50 states across the country, um, which means right now parents who uh, or want to be parents um, have to leave New York State to work with a what's called a gestational carrier or someone who will, is willing to carry the baby on their behalf if they can't carry a baby to term on their own. Um, and it would update all of the second parent adoption laws. So it would do away with the social worker and the big lawyer fees and everything else and make it as simple as a judgment of parentage, you know, one-time visit, a judge can say before a child is born, which is key, yes, you are the intended legal parents, you're good to go. Well, Allison, this certainly resonates with me as an LGBTQ person who wants to build the family that I envision for myself. So thank you so much for sharing your story and joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. And good luck to you on your journey. It's exhausting and exhilarating. Thank you. And don't go away. Up next, Zach and I are responding to your tweets. Welcome back. It is time for At Us, where we shall be reading your tweets momentarily. But I gotta say, our show today contained multitudes. A lot of multitudes. Multitudes. Governor Inslee goes, I'm so glad you could sandwich me in between <laughs> Justin Bieber and a, teaching your child how to bark like a dog. Listen, Governor, we well, are happy that we can too. Welcome to BuzzFeed. That is just who we are. Governor. Indeed. <laughs> well, Princess Leia tweeted this after Zach's Bieber versus Cruz conversation. I hope they both lose. I don't like either of them. Woo, that's true. I mean, I get that. But I do think, you know, Tom Cruise would win. I do. Facts. I mean, I have a lot to say about this. Too much that we could possibly get through right now. So right. we can just okay. leave it at that. Well, we wanted to know what you would pick as your walkout song. Satisha says, The Scratch, Seven Year Bitch. I love that. You do? I don't, <laughs> I don't think I actually know that song. It's like a very, like, you know, dancey song. Huh. I, I think it was what I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, we'll have to have a little listen after I love the show. It. Okay. Jolie also said, Sissy That Walk. <gasps> Yes. Really yes, good yes, yes. A yeah. drag one. Yeah. Does everyone know that the first person that was queer to run for president in the 90s was actually a drag queen named Joan Jett Black? Um, and she did quite well. It wasn't Fred Carger or people to judge. But anyway, for Facts another only. show. Facts another show. Only. Drag began. Dropping the knowledge everything. on you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you to our guests, Alex Thomas, Lauren Feiner, Madeline Agler, Allison Hope, Governor Jay Inslee, and Carla Gugino. We will be here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, I'm gonna take a nap.